So it was earlier this month, ahead of his Formats LP, that I finally sat down with Trevor Jackson and uh, chatted about the album and about his career, which has been pretty impressive over the last 20 or so years. On the afternoon that he came down, we discussed many topics, and so as a result, we've had to edit it all down a little bit because it was (laughs) at least two hours conversation. So um, we'll probably make a part two out of this whole feature sometime in the future. As you might know, Trevor's a stalwart of the London underground music scene. He's been central to breaking so many artists over the last 20 years. He was involved in British hip-hop, early house, the rise of full tech, which I think it was Fridge actually came out on Trevor Jackson's record label. He was also a big part and uh, the sort of champion of that whole LCD sound system, Rapture, New York movement. And most recently, actually, he redesigned the defected logo. So he's a big designer. That's really when I first met him and first heard about him when I was running Talking Ad Records. Let's start the conversation when we were speaking about his early days. I was a graph designer, so I was doing record covers for like, G Street Records and Champion Records, so all of the early house stuff, Ray's Break for Love, Todd Terry, um, and G Street Stereo MCs, T- Jungle Brothers, all that stuff. That's what I started doing. And I actually never started DJing until I put out my Playgroup album when I didn't have a live... I didn't want to go live and they were like, well, you've got to go out somehow. So that's the first time I properly professionally started DJing. I did little gigs beforehand at small little parties and stuff, but I was never a, a proper, and I never wanted to be a DJ. And then DJ Kicks came out and I was forced to go into DJing to support it. 
but that was never my intention. The first label I had was in the in the early mid '90s, and I was putting out hip hop, and I had signed to Sound Brotherhood and stuff like that. champion of British hip-hop at that period right I mean there yeah, weren't many we, people who were put in well, there, was mu- there was Music Alive yeah and Music Alive was like Hijack and, oh, and yeah. people like that and Derek B even they put out and then there was like Cold Sweat those records I loved them but they were always packaged really badly and so my idea was I really wanted to start a label that visually represented hip-hop as uh, as intellectual not intellectually as, as, as innovatively as um, the music was and that's kind of the, one of the main reasons I started a hip-hop label really was just to do great hip-hop covers because they weren't I was doing stuff for Stereo MCs and G Street and stuff but I still wasn't able to push it and that's kind of that was like yeah early mid 90s come take a ride on the book we come from London, the dungeon Under the shroud, that's the cloud Cloud of the rain, cause it drains away the pain Deep in the hearts to the roots of our town Left at the tower, then six levels down Broken crown, we be all the king's men Minds of Jack the Ripper to the strokes of Big Ben When we hear the tones, we be breaking bones Roaming through the gaslit alleyways and bloodstained cobblestones With the clones of Mr. Hyde Howling at the moon, we be lunar like the tide Sun, moon, moon, sun, sun, moon one pound of flesh is worth 23 tons So come, follow in the Thames, come see Pay the ferry man, follow we We got no time, we never felt no remorse But dropping people up and then we put them in a cupboard box The price of living starts to get higher Makes you wondering, you're blundering town Crier, fire, fire, it's what the people them saw Now everybody's wanting to witch a bitch bun to the floor I am lying, that's what they call me Reverse the second word and then you see what I am on scene And then I started output, and the first stuff I Why put out. Why did you get bored of hip hop? Uh, well, I bought it, but it was mainly because I suppose you know I used to come and see you. You play, and you know, I was into Tim Westwood. <laughs> you went to see me play. No, no, I bought it. No, no, <laughs> no, but no, but and he said, like I remember going to you know I really loved at the point like going to the Fez and hearing Tribe and 
stuff like that and when the pipes come I'm a, you know and I just found there was a really great point when hip hop was musically exciting and people were digging for really interesting you know breaks or whatever and spiritually it kind of had some kind of not spiritual maybe the wrong word but it had a, a, what I felt was a kind of not a sappy wet kind of spirituality but actually a positive energy to it and then I think probably around the point of ga- start gangster rap and West Coast and I was never into West Coast rap anyway I was always into East Coast stuff it just started changing and morally you know I always used to listen to lyrics and I remember being at parties and seeing people dancing to stuff that was like so kind of morally offensive I was like I just can't get with this anymore and I just generally the whole vibe just I wasn't into it the thing was you were a bit ahead of the of the curve I mean in the sense of the way you were designing record sleeves at that time I mean there was probably I remember Science Records were doing some stuff through Virgin and then you were doing some stuff with Virgin as well they were about the most progressive I did the logo for Science yeah for Photek and Swiss Direct that's probably why I was connected to all that stuff yeah Yeah. and that was definitely kind of a precursor to the Mo Waxes and, and the labels that ended up sort of getting the style thing a bit better with regards to you know boutique labels and stuff I just I've always cared about the way you know for me I mean it goes back to the project I've been doing now but for me the music the whole thing about music is not just the music for me it's everything it's the it's the marketing the packaging the the, the, I'm, I'm excited and inspired by all aspects of that you know
the labels I really look to were like ECM. I, you know, the aesthetic of ECM has always been something that has fascinated me. You know, and even though the the hip hop I was was putting out wasn't necessarily. In fact, to be honest, I sampled tons of ECM. I shouldn't say, but I was at the time. So that whole kind of period of music I was really excited by. Definitely ECM and fact, probably ECM and Factory were the two main visual influences on me. But around that time, I can't. I mean, I can't think of labels that I really thought that had a visual aesthetic that I thought was any hip hop labels stateside. Def Jam, the de- original Maroon Def Jam covers, but before, but that's all stuff I was inspired by. But around that time, there were honestly hip hop covers and artwork were all were pretty bad. And you know, if you look at the the early Bytic cover, I mean, we only did like ten or twelve releases, but they were all they had no text on the front. In fact, I pretty much ripped most of the type on the back off of um, remember Herbie Mann's Embryo label. <laughs> so I loved them. I just loved the that's design of that. One. You know, so uh, <laughs> Herbie the whole, Mann's Embryo label. That's, a, that's some amazing records on that. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so I, I don't know. Uh, uh, the, yeah, hip hop cover sleeves. I don't think there were that many great things. So I just wanted to try and do something that was that was different really I was going out from the age of 14 maybe before 14 
Yeah, in those days, you could kind of get away with that. I mean, I remember, you know, I'd go to the Camden Palace religiously and see Eddie Now Coco. Now Coco, yeah. Yeah. But but I'd go to... So that was the first club I remember going to, being religiously going to, seeing Colin Faber and Eddie Richards play. Um, This is kind of... You know, there's probably Steve Strange, Rusty Egan kind of stuff. So it was coming out of the new romantic kind of thing. And they would be playing, you know, they'd be playing everything from electro to kind of new wave stuff to whatever. So there, and then I'd lo- I love, you know, pretty much, you know what it's like back then. There was probably no more than a thousand people going clubbing in London. So all the clubs from, you know, Cannon Palace, Raw Club, WAG, I went, I, w- I went out six nights a week. started working through that I mean I met Mark Moore from S Express at the WAG and I took my portfolio in there to show him and I did the sleeve for S Express a thing from S Express off the, off the back of just chatting to him in a club working for champion records and i'd literally go to a club and the next night the next morning i'd go in to see this guy mel who ran the label and goes i've got this new todd terry record can you part do you want to do the sleep i'm like yeah i heard it last night i'd love to and it was just a mad time you know i was clubbing london clubbing you know, made me who who i am you know totally 
up to a point when the trip or one of those big clubs happened at the Astoria, the one that was in the papers, and it really kind of killed it for me. The whole, I mean, you were a football fan, right? But I hate football. So when rave music and house culture started getting infiltrated by e-taking football fans, I was out in a shot. It was really a turning point in London clubbing where, you know, because you had like a thousand people on the street outside. The, it was it was nuts to see how, which what was a fairly compact London club scene turn into something which was, you know, really far bigger. And it lost, it certainly lost something, I think, at that point for me anyway. Music you heard, Brotherhood, Alphabetical Response, Hard Noise, Mice in the Presence of a Lion on the, remember that? Music of Life record label. Um, Brotherhood, Clunk Click on Bite It. And of course he was behind the artwork of another very important record label, Science Records. So he played you Source Direct, Black Domino. That was also the label responsible for Fotech and uh, lots of other really good stuff. Julian Priester, Love Love on ECM. We all love that. Great to hear it again. Pete Shelley witnessed the change, the dub of that, and S-Express, theme from S-Express. The guy goes deep. In the background right now, a track from his latest project, which is just about to be released, unfolded in different formats. But before we get into hearing about that, is there anything Trevor misses about those early days of London clubbing? The thing I miss most about time, and it's funny now being able to DJ, I don't know how you find it, but you know, when I used to go to Cannon Palace, I never even saw the DJ. You know, for me, the one thing that I've always felt uncomfortable with is getting on stage in front of people and performing. If I wanted to do that, I'd have a band. I don't. And actually, to this day, when I play and they put me on a stage, I'm like, oh, geez, I just, and I'm always like, turn the lights down. I don't want, not, you know, I just don't like, I, I like to, you know, I don't want to be on show. It's about the music to me, totally. And those clubs, all the best clubs I went to, it was so dark, you never saw the DJ. You certainly didn't have p- people standing around the DJ with their phones trying to photograph. They just wanted to listen to the music and dance. And it's, you know, it's killed it for me. You know, it's killed it for me because it's now put the DJs above the music and it never used to be like that, did it? I mean, people were fans of DJs, but it was always about, always about the tunes. And now the culture is completely different.
Giles Peterson. I'm in conversation with Trevor Jackson, whose new album called Formats dropped or is just about to drop on May the 18th. I went to the launch last month, which was excellent. And uh, there was an installation about all the various formats that we use to consume music through. The album release was made up of 12 different formats. So 12 inch, 7 inch, 10, all the way through pretty much every recorded physical format that, that's existed. And then the installation was made up of, I made a short film showing the the kind of romantic ritual of playing these formats but yeah the music was played I mean, it was a recording of those formats so if you were watching me putting my putting a dat into a dat machine it was playing it was playing from the dat machine musically the thing is I've been making I mean I haven't put anything out for like 15 years because when I stopped doing the label I was sick of music and the music industry and I didn't want anything to do with it for multitudes of reasons I was like forget this and I started concentrated, concentrating on doing design and art direction work again and visual work um, but I'd never stopped making music I'd, I'd, I used to make a track every single day but I just thought to myself I, I, can, I, I wanted to just do it, get back to doing it for fun again because I'd lost that that enjoyment aspect of it because the business stuff had really killed me um, so I just used to make music every day and, and I never had people used to say when you put stuff out I'm like I'm not going to put it out I'm just doing it for myself I don't need to put it out um, and it was only like last year when Sean from the Vinyl Factory, the guy, one of the guys involved with Vinyl Factory, said we should do a project together. First uh, of all, tell us what the Vinyl Factory is exactly. I mean, Vinyl Factory is like a bespoke, a label that concentrate on doing bespoke vinyl editions. So they'll do vinyl, I mean, simplistically, say you have a label that wants to put out the, well, they all want to do vinyl now, but maybe a few years ago, a label will put an album out and they don't want to do it on vinyl, so Vinyl Factory will do a special vinyl edition. But now they've gone into doing more, like, Pet Shop Boys album they did like an amazing Perspex box set with like with 12 different coloured vinyl super bespoke really high end kind of edition so that's kind of what they do and then they started doing I think yeah, they did a Dina's Chapman album last year which is a proper album project and mine as well so I think they're starting to get into more to doing actual full on artist album things They came from New York Step to the beat, going down the road singing. They came from New York. They stepped to the beat, going down the road singing. Up to now, I own all every master of every track I've ever done. I've got the masters back for everything, so I own all the tracks I've ever made, not remixes, obviously, but all the music I've made, I now own it myself, which is quite a powerful position to be in. And um, yeah, so we spoke about doing a completely different project that didn't that didn't work out. Then I had this idea for a while about doing the multi-format thing, and he said, "Why don't we do that?" And I was like, "Actually, you're the perfect person to do it because no one else would actually be nuts enough to try and release an album on 12 different formats." And then I just started trawling through all the music and I had like about 200 tracks and he helped me just go, we, we, we listened to stuff together and it's the first time I've ever had anyone, well no, you know my friend, you know Luca, Luca Santucci from Stubborn Heart, he's the only person in my life, even my girlfriend hadn't heard it, who I let hear the music and he helped me strip those tracks down to like 50 or 80 tracks and then Sean and I went through the music and we just decided to, you know, to put some stuff out. So the album wasn't created as an album, it's more for me like a, an archival collection of of old tracks because some of the stuff was made in 1999 it's really a kind of pick from a over the past decade and a half
really all this music has been made probably when I was at my lowest. I've had some, you know, you know, crazy shit happen to me over the past decade. And as much as at that point when I stopped my label, I hated music. Music's brought me through everything. It really has, you know. It's like, you know, forget meditation, antidepressants, whatever you can take. At the end of the day, you hear a tune that makes you, it, it can take you somewhere else, you know. So most of the music, I'm, all this, a lot of the projects I've done in the past have all been very conceptual and have all been quite um, considered. And this stuff was just about feel, just just turning my machines on, making stuff and see what happened and see what happens. And, and a lot of it's evolved because that's the thing as well, because no one heard the music. Some of these tracks, I've got like 50 different versions and they've slowly evolved over over a decade. I keep on adding something to it. I'd work on 20 tracks at a time because I, and I didn't have any pressure when I was making it. No one told me I was going to ever put it out. So I just thought I'd just do it and finish it when I'm happy. And I kind of have got to a point now when I've got a whole body of music I'm happy with. So hopefully the next year I put out loads of stuff. Music itself wasn't made with a concept in mind, but the concept is very strong. The concept about having um, physical music editions. Because for me, I haven't released an album for 15 years, and that was pre-iTunes, that's pre-YouTube. So things have changed so dramatically. You know, the tide has changed, but for me, I'm not one of these people that kind of like, things are different, we should just go with it. I'm like, well, not really. I don't believe in the way things are going. I want to do my own thing. So it's really important to me that to produce an album that was on physical that, was on, that existed physically and also wasn't streamable anywhere wasn't downloadable anywhere at the time I wanted to have a situation that for um, you know a, a period of time the people that bought those formats would be the only people on the planet that had that track you know that's quite special so someone that bought the the, the mini CD there's a hundred mini CDs they were the only person on the people on the planet and no one up you know I, I, and I kind of hinted at the fact I didn't want people to share it or, up, or upload it anywhere and I think that's something quite unique now because that's gone you know and so there's that was a big aspect to it the whole aspect about as I was talking about the, the installation playing these things on physical objects I mean I'm sitting here you've got a beautiful valve out there and things a lot of these things are lost now we live in a culture where it's all about picking up your phone and pressing play and that's it and that whole experience of kind of touching things and pressing knobs and dials which I think is important that's gone so that was a huge part of it as well and with the 
the actual installation itself, my idea was I didn't send it to the press, no one. The only way anyone could hear the album was come to the installation. So those three days were, it was completely democratic. So I didn't send it to, you know, journalists and DJs didn't have it first. Everyone could come down if they want to hear the album, they could hear the album in that, in the way that I, in the way that I wanted. And ultimately that's it because I can have the power and control over how people listen to my music, which is gone now. Some people don't understand that, but to me that's important. In the background right now, the track Scuzz from the new album from Trevor Jackson entitled Formats. Before that, I think it's my favourite track on the album. It's certainly the track that I've been playing a lot out. They came from New York and you also heard Real to Real. So as a DJ who's been on the scene for over 25 years, is the DJing element something that Trevor still enjoys doing? It's weird. The more I play now, I, I maybe I'm unfortunate I don't play the right gigs, but I can't play as diverse as I'd like to. And I used to find when I first started playing, I could just play anything. And I was more, I mean, when I had my label and I was working with Fortet and all those guys, you know, I was kind of just putting out weirdo records and I could do a gig and play anything. And it's, you know, I'm proud of Kieran because he's gone on and he's pushed that ethos, you know, know, into not the mainstream, but, you know, people love going to see him playing, playing everything. And I used to do that, you know, back in the early 90s. And now it's harder to do that. So I don't enjoy playing as much as I used to.
That's Kieran Hebden, a.k.a. Fortet, the track Glass Head that came out on Trevor's Output Record label. It ran from 1996 to 2006, 10 years of releasing some really edgy, fantastic, contemporary British-based music. Now, whilst on the topic of DJing, who's Trevor's favourite at the moment? Someone like Theo, who's one of my, obviously, one of my favourite DJs. But I, when he goes off kilter, I, I adore it. But when he start getting too, for me, too jazzy and too, I, I'm not into it. But then I'd rather have that, you know. If you see, I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen someone that's totally consistent. I mean, Kieran, I love what he plays because it's all over the place, you know. But I don't have a particular, and I don't go out enough anymore. Because you know what it's like, when you DJ, the last thing you want to do is go to a club and hear someone else, you know, go to a club and hear other people DJ. But I saw him, it's only obvious, a moody man. I saw him play at XOY a while ago. And that was amazing because I think someone like Jack Master, or someone else, no, someone was standing, playing before um, instead of Jack Master. It's pretty good. And it was maybe one, two o'clock, and then Moody Man came in, just literally. He had the computer in front, t- put the computer down, so the Apple logo went. Just started talking for like two minutes and put on Jay Diller, Big Booty Express, played it like four times in a row. And this is at like one thirty in the morning, and the floor just cl- all the idiots just left, and the crowd that was left was amazing. And he just built it up over like two, three hours. It was, it was amazing. We all love Plastic People. It sadly left us a few months ago now, London's bastion of good quality sound and proper club culture, a big part of our London scene over the recent years. So I wanted to hear what Trevor thought about the venue. It's a cliche, but it was a magical place. And now we don't have it in London because I think the problem is, you know, people, it's a business now. People need to make money. And to make money, you know, I think you, you've got. To, I don't know. You, you need to take. I don't know. You need to take risks, don't you? To do something exciting, you need to take risks, and it's very hard to take risks with any business venture whatsoever. So you have to pander to having big name DJs, or and or and the other thing is DJs want big DJs want to be seen. They wouldn't want to be hidden, would they? They love all that kind of theatrical stuff. You know, I, I've never put my hands in the air once when I'm DJing. I would refuse. I might have danced a little bit, but any of that kind of theatrics, I I just refuse to do it. Charles Peterson and Trevor Jackson in conversation. Trevor's become synonymous with London club culture, but would he ever consider moving abroad? I did uh, about five years ago when everything went really, for very various reasons, things went really tits up. I was like, I can't live in London anymore. So I travelled DJing for about a year and a half and living in different cities and sofa surfing and crashing at people's places. And I was like, am I going to, did I want to live in Berlin? Did I want to live in, you know, all these different places. 
But I came back to London because for me, London is, is almost the greatest city on the planet. If it wasn't for the fact that, you know, basically the, it's, you know, so much, uh, I don't know, the, the finite, the, the, just in, in terms of the rich poor divide now, it's just getting stupid in London. Now, I, where I live now, you know, it's like living in Dubai. The amount of buildings are knocking down and building these disgust, really horrible, tall skyscraper for, skyscrapers for loads of rich people when people can hardly afford to pay for anything around them. It disgusts me. So that's, that's kind of, I have a, you know, that I have a real issue with. But gen- on a cultural level, you can't beat it for music, film, fashion, art, food, the cult- and, and, you know, just the, the mixed culture. Where else do you get that? You know, you go around, you know, I, I think about it with the same as you when I grew up at school. My mates were every colour under the sun, you know. And in, in London, that's the thing. It's very unique. And there's no... I don't, can't think of many other places on the planet with that, you know. So it's important to me. You know, I've lived and worked in East London for 30 years now. And it is getting to that point when it's almost kind of... It's becoming like... I feel like it's becoming like Notting Hill. But also at this point in my life, you know, maybe I think to myself, I don't have kids, but when I have kids, I don't, probably won't want to bring them up in London anyway. I'd live in the UK, but maybe I'd... Everyone's moving to Ramsgate. They are. I'm, I'm, in fact, maybe I should, I'm working on a really interesting compilation an eight, for Warp at the moment, an Adrian Sherwood on your sound compilation, which is like, it's like a dream come true. In fact, there's... Um, he's in Hastings, right? Or is he in he's, in, he's in Ramsgate. Right. And um, yeah, I've, 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 I've had access to like the, the, the sonic arc of, arc of the Covenant, some of the on you sound unreleased stuff, which is mind-blowing. And it's really like, that's like, you know, my dream come true, maybe to do an on you sound comp. So I'm doing that at the moment, and I hopefully I'll go. To, I've never been to. I've got friends that live in Ramsgate, so hopefully I'll be going there soon. And Margate as well. Yeah. People are moving to Margate, so maybe I'll go and move by the sea. Back a decade, I wanted to hear about the output period, where he was central to breaking the Rapture and LCD sound system in the UK. I was, I was making my Playgroup album, which was a conscious effort to try, because at the time, most solo artists were, take, were being very serious. And I was looking at other people like Aphex and Squarepusher, and as much as I love their music, the whole thing was very kind of like super serious. And I was like, I want to make a, my equivalent of a pop record which at the time was quite anarchic because I'd seen I'd been known for doing underdog and very dark kind of 
super complex program beats and kind of quite you know dark stuff so i wanted to make something more fun really inspired by like mainly compass point and also the mix of you know the you know the slits meets dennis bavel or you know public image going to uh, john Lydon going to jamaica just that whole kind of culture clash which is something that's fascinating me so i made that album and i went to new york to record with um shinehead and with kathleen hannah from bikini kill and I met Tim Goldsworthy out there, who I knew from, from Mo Wax days. And he's like, Trevor, you really want to hear this band we're working with, The Rapture, because it's kind of similar to the stuff you're doing with the playgroup. And I heard it, I was like, this is great. I've got to put it on my label. He's like, you, you really like it? I'm like, yeah. with LCD at the time they didn't I don't think they knew the records were good but I don't think they had the as much confidence in them that I knew they were you can't when you're making your own music and so I started to you know help them put that music out and it was it for me it was an exciting time because it was I, the, the whole electro clash thing before that I was kind of lumped into but I was never making electro clash records that wasn't my thing and yet that whatever it was the, the disco punk I don't know that movement it was it was it was an exciting movement because it was you know it got it, it got, you know ultimately you asked me about my favorite clubs they're always warehouse parties you know you know more I, i'm not into that whole function one thing i like kind of old reggae sound systems and i like bricks and sweat and smoke and i like raw sounding music and so those records were kind of like raw sounding music with personality and songs 
could dance to at the same time. No one ever teaches you how to run a record label. There should. I mean, maybe there are now. Maybe you can go to college and learn how to run a record label. But I never knew how to run a record label. I didn't know, understand MCPS, PRS, all these things. All I knew is that if I made money, I paid the band 50%. If I didn't, that was it. And then to be honest, the PRS started to come after me and wanted to shut me down because I hadn't paid something that I was like, well, I paid the bands anyway. What are you talking about? And they pretty much threatened to shut me down. And they forced me to shut down. They actually had to pull, I think I had to get security guards to get me out there because I was so pissed off. I was like, actually, I'm doing your job. I'm like an A&Ring for every British major, every international major label in the world. They're taking these artists. These artists are growing up, earning loads of money. And I'm getting nothing from it apart from I'm kind of enjoying it. And you're going to try and shut me down. So I got so pissed off with the whole thing. And I didn't have contracts with anyone. It was all a handshake. Super naive, like Daniel Miller, Ralph Trey, um, Mute style. I was just stupidly naive. I was like, these people are my friends, doesn't matter. And then when someone comes after you with a checkbook for $2 million or whatever, you know, things change. I mean, I'm cool with all of them. James Murphy's a friend. Everyone, Everything's totally fine now. But at the time, it was really hairy. It was difficult because I was just inexperienced, not inexperienced, but I just was naive. And that's the point I thought, oh, I don't want any more, you know, because I never did it as business. For me, the only thing was as long as I didn't lose money, then I'm happy. Coming undone 
LCD Sound System Beat Connection from 2002, Raptures I Need Your Love, it was the Playground remix from 2004, both released on Trevor's output record label. Look into the future, what's next? What's after the album? I'm doing an on your sound comp, which I think is going to come out, it hasn't been announced yet, it's probably a secret, so mm-hmm. if there's anyone from Lord listening, I'm sorry. Um, so that's probably going to come out in September, October. I'm working on a, I mean, I've got like this other hundred odd tracks to put out so I'm either going to start a new label just to put out my own music not to work with anyone else I'm, I'm not you know I'm not quite sure I'm, I, I just want to you know I, I just want to get the stuff out there somewhere but do it in a creative way thinking about starting a label which is accessible by post only so no email no phone nothing so people actually have to write a letter to to um, to buy the records maybe I know it's just you know I'll mess with people a little bit 
Dub Syndicate's Overboard from the forthcoming On You Sound compilation that Trevor's been involved with coming out soon on Warp Records. Now, formats are obviously an important part of his love affair with music, so I wanted to hear about his record collection. I've got like 50,000 records, something stupid. I don't know, you've probably got 300,000. No, I don't think I've got much more than that. But um, half of them in storage, half from at home. When I moved into my latest place, which I'm going to be for a while, I, can, I put them up on shelves quickly. And now I've got to sort them out by getting them all out. So I haven't sorted them out properly. And I'm full up. I haven't got enough room. So that puts me off buying too much vinyl as much as I'd want to buy because I don't have room for it anymore. Um, but normally when I get back from the record shop, I don't listen to it straight away. I, what I normally do, having the radio show fortnightly encourages me. So normally what I do, the, the day the day and a half, I spend the day and a half, two days every fortnight just listening to new music and listening to the stuff I bought properly and then and if I didn't have the show, I probably wouldn't discover as much new stuff. And I've kind of concentrated thinking I want to play more new than old. I try and drop in a few old things, but it's more... It's, you know what, really, it's like, for me, having a show is like having a record label. Because the only reason I had a label was to try and introduce new mu- music to people. That was a pure reason I did it. So having a show means that I can just find this music, play it to people, and don't have to worry about dealing with personalities, paying anyone anything, any advances, any business stuff whatsoever. I just play music and people are like, wow, that's a great record. That's kind of job done you know so that's kind of my my thought process behind it you know NTS is the show NTS Tuesday nights 8 till 10 I just did a show I mean I can't remember when the next one is but yeah it's fortnightly after Yvonne Smag and Nathan Gregory, Gregory Wilkins that's and become a great place hasn't it NTS is I mean you know, Sean and Femi that they're talking about community and clubs and stuff. for me you know, I, as I said living and working in East London to me makes sense to be part I want to you know community is important to me and they've really, you know, they've built up a, a strong, a strong sh- a radio um, network of people. And I, you know, I have respect for all the DJs on there. It's, it's, it's you know, there's no, there's no, there's, you know, there's no comparison. I think that's it's, it's amazing. You know, the fact that they've got so many people that go on it. It's really, I, I enjoy it a lot. So you can listen to Trevor Jackson on NTS. You can even go and see him doing the show itself in Gillette Square in Dalston. His album Formats is out on May the 18th on Vinyl Factory. And yeah, thank you very much again to Trevor for coming down. Absolute pleasure and uh, an honour to have him down in the Brownswood basement. We'll leave you with this one, a track which I remember Trevor playing when he was DJing alongside ESG. ESG were coming to London for the very first time. And uh, I do like my punk funk, I like my jazz funk, my Brit funk, but I didn't know this track. And uh, yeah, he totally blew the roof off when he played Delta 5. Thanks again, Trevor. Can I have a taste of your ice?